Hello, I'm Damien Edwardson, one half of Art92 and the creator of the sci-fi wrestling comic, The Galaxy Grappling Alliance. And welcome to Oh Men to That, the chip-free sporadic podcast series where I'll be talking to a selection of hand-picked guests on a diverse range of topics centred in and around the world of art, comics and all things creative. And on today's show, I'll be talking to a small press creator whose tale of fantasy and battling badgers is now entering its sixth year of publication. It's without doubt one of the most accomplished small press comics on the market and one of my personal favourites. We talk about comics, wrestling and of course, badgers. So settle back and get ready to enjoy the art of Steve Sims and his beast hunting battle badgers. So one of the things I love about doing this podcast is I'm able to talk to some of my favourite creators. And on today's show, I'm pleased to be doing exactly that. A comic creator and artist who, in my humble opinion, produces one of the most accomplished and professional small press titles on the market. His black and white art is a joy to behold. And his most famous creation, the Beast Hunting Battle Badgers, not only mixes fantasy and anthropomorphic creatures, but also has more than its first share of Easter eggs for an old wrestling fan like myself. So without further ado, it's a big hello to the superbly talented Steve Sims. Wow, that was quite an entrance. <laughs> I feel like I should have my own music. <laughs> I'll put something in. <laughs> yeah, yes. It sounds like Real Americans should start playing or something. <laughs> I could strut my way onto the podcast. Fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> so how are you, mate? How are you keeping? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, surviving in the bunker like everybody else. Big excitement for me recently is I, I moved my desk from one room to another room. Uh, now, next to a, next to a window now, so I've actually got some natural light coming in to help me feel slightly alive in my my little bunker. <laughs> it's funny you say that because we did the same thing. We moved the office from what was the back room. It's nice because it's just you get more daylight. So when I'm sat working from home, I can actually see daylight and I'm not freezing cold. You know, it's not like minus three or something. That's but exactly the same as me. Exactly. I, I, being a gentleman, though, I allowed H to have the desk near the window, you know, so I'm still a bit oh. further. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, of course. My my partner, Kaz, she has the um, whole kitchen table and uh, all the light coming in through the kitchen window. Um, yeah. I, my, my desk in the, the main room is a really cool little sort of corner desk, my drawing board all set up, but it doesn't get any natural light. So like you say, it just gets cold and shadowy and, and you can just about see the sun through the window on the other side of the room and you think I know it's light out there but I'm not getting any of the benefits so yeah move to the other room near a window um yeah it's um it's quite a funky little change really yeah, quite exciting it is isn't it and I don't know whether it's because the season's turning a bit um and there is quite literally end you know light at the end of the tunnel I think yeah. in more ways than one yeah yeah but it, it does give you a bit of a lift doesn't it you know when you kind it does of, it's it's weird the power of daylight Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, important stuff. All that vitamin D. <laughs> Astracula, he'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. So, I mean, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. No problem. As you know, I'm genuinely a big fan of your work. I think I love Battle Badges. I, th- I just think it's it's a wonderful title. Um, oh, thanks. And, uh, you know, obviously we'll have a good chat about that later on. But 
just before we begin, for people who maybe aren't as familiar with, with yourself and what you do, do you want to just give us a little bit of history about you and comics and art? You know, how did you first get into comics and, and kind of what what were your favourites growing up? Yeah, sure. I mean, for me, the the thing that really um, attracted me to art in general um, would mainly be fantasy and monsters and things like that. So one of the first books I can remember being drawn to as a little kid was Where the Wild Things Are, which I, I think is a you know a huge favourite of of lots of lots of people. Yeah. Um, uh, just the drawing style, the cross hatching, the strange beasts on on the front. And that was a, a really big draw for me. Um, and from there, books like, like Raymond Briggs um, with Father Christmas and the Snowman, that was me sort of, um, looking into panel work, really, because that's essentially um, a picture book, but yeah. everything's broken into your comic style panel. So that was, I was just completely enthralled by those, the way that you could have these small images one after the other that you just sort of flick through uh, and sort of play the little movie in your head. And that was kind of my introduction into what you call comic books, really. Um, and uh, and then from there into Asterix, which is still you know, one of my huge uh, favorites. My huge love is, is pouring over Asterix and just seeing the way that they just create those amazing characters full of so much light. Mm. Um, and life and just energy um so that was me right sort of set then okay this is cool this is what i want as much <laughs> asterisk as i can consume um and my brother was really into um sort of fancy warhammer um D D, all that sort of stuff my dad had lots of rodney matthews calendars fancy pictures on the walls and stuff and I think from a very early age, I loved the idea of taking the asterisk style characters and putting them into a fancy world like that. Um, and then movies like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and all the artwork surrounding those films uh, really got me into the more um, sort of textured watercolors and pencils and um, just really cool, like folklore side of mythological artwork. Yeah. Um, so I just went down this massive sort of rabbit hole of of fantasy and creatures and folklore and monsters and stuff like that, and that was pretty much my my main love as a kid. Um, I mean, obviously there were the other more mainstream comic books around, like Beano, Wizard and Chips, um, the odd copy of 2000 AD, which I was instantly drawn to the slain stuff in there because. Not only was the art amazing, but you know the, the character was just so cool and over the top, the massive axe and you know huge mohawk, just um, totally my sort of thing. Um, and also there was a, a comic called Oink, which was was a bit like Viz for kids. Don't know if you ever saw um, an issue of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I used to absolutely love that because it, it would bring in all the like the, the toilet humor and the stuff that your your mum wouldn't wouldn't like yeah. you know you, you felt like you shouldn't have it sort of thing so um yeah and then really the main thing that totally caught my attention like it did with everybody else when it came out was um ninja turtles mm. because it just it was like nothing else it, it had cool kick-ass creatures 
um, that fought other bigger kick-ass creatures, and it and it brought in all this cool um, mythology, like Japanese mythology around um, ninjas and um, sorcerers and things like that. So it just it was that extra that level again of like, okay, you've got fancy, yeah. but then you can also bring in like mutants and people teleporting from the future like back into a fancy worlds, And it, it just really um, took a bit of everything. And it was obviously, you know, two guys just drawing from all their own personal loves and, and yeah, yeah. chucking it down on a page and having loads of fun with it. And um, that was kind of me realizing, okay, comics aren't just, um, you know, necessarily a Superman comic or mm. Batman done by Marvel or done by these other people. There are people out there that are just making them for themselves or yeah. based on what they think is cool. And that sort of, that drew me into the more independent comics, yeah. which was, which is when I, I really got interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like a whole new world, isn't it? It's, yeah. I mean, it's funny you talk about, um, obviously I'm sure people draw parallels between your work and, you know, Teenage Mutant, ninja turtles but even when you look back that early stuff some of the um the energy in those books and those yeah. pages is unbelievable you know yeah it's, just, it's yeah. full of life isn't it you know yeah yeah definitely i mean um kevin eastman is just fantastic at, at drawing these great mm. um sequential battles with loads of um sort of foot soldiers jumping in through windows and yeah. hiding in shadows and, and things like that and um of course that coupled with peter laird's just brilliant illustrating style um and storytelling style you know you mm. put those two things together and also peter a lot of peter laird's love of old um, mythology and dinosaurs and all yeah. this other cool stuff you just you know get those two guys together and it just really created pure gold yeah. brilliant stuff yeah and it's it's quite amusing as well that you know obviously because it became somewhat more um popularized during the kind of 80s and 90s that people don't realize i think how dark you know the the teenage mutant ninja turtles story genuinely is you know when it first begins it's a very you know, it's a very kind of introspective piece to to a degree isn't it you know yeah, there's a lot is, going on yeah. right? it's not just all fighting and pizza jokes you know no no i mean essentially you've got four brothers who are the, the only ones of their kind who don't fit in anywhere you know they're, they're teenagers so they want to explore and yeah. go and mix and socialize and, and understand the world they're in but there's no place for them in that world so um and also when they do make their way out of their their hiding place they encounter a foot clan that wants to destroy them and <laughs> you know wipe them out anyway so you know, any um, straying outside their, their boundaries results in them pretty much being hunted down and, and try to be taken out. So it's kind of kind of gritty and, and kind of melancholy mm. as well. You know, and they they do their best to club together to be as goofy as they can. But um, yeah, it's um, the the original, like the first twelve issues before they get uh, beaten and have to flee New York off to Northampton in the farmhouse. Those are just some of the best comics ever. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And ob obviously they um, they realized that they were onto something and they were able to license it and create a colorful kids cartoon out of it. And um, that brought in loads of money and then they could just carry on publishing their own style of comics 
on the indie scene and um, also create loads of product for a more mainstream yeah, scene. Yeah, and I, I can't think of many kind of titles like that that had a dual, almost like a dual personality, didn't it? Where, you know, you had the kind of, you know, the, the traditional line of teenage comics that were, were still kind of, as you say, quite gritty and and dark. And then you also had this running parallel to it, you know, with the cartoons and the yeah. toys. And the... Yeah, like, I, I can't think of anything like it myself either no. i mean they were they were very very clever in a way that they they kept hold of the rights for everything so they licensed off the idea for other products and things but they kept hold of it as a, a product themselves as a um, an ip they hold on to it themselves so they could do their own thing with it at the same time as licensing certain bits out to other people yeah so do, what kind of films were you into so, i would presume you were a quite a film buff and into the, the fantasy stuff. You oh, know, was as a it kid. Kind of like Dark I, Crystal and I would Crawl just, and all that stuff. I would just wait until any showing of a Ray Harryhausen film. Oh, that, yeah. Uh, that was my, you know, I, I'd be so excited. If it was going to be Easter or a bank holiday or something like that, I was like, okay, they might show Clash of Titans. They might show Seventh Voyage. Any of those. Yeah. Um, I never had a, um, when I was really little, I never had a, a video recorder or anything. So you just wait for it to come on telly. Mm. Um, and I, I think I probably watched Clash of the Titans about a hundred times. You know, it's just yeah. absolute classic. Um, also, obviously, things like Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, Legend, um, Dragon yeah. Slayer. Yeah. A- anything with a puppet or stop motion <laughs> yeah. or anything with, with something in it that wasn't real. You know, if they could take it and make it look real, as if it had life and a soul, but I knew it wasn't real, then that that was brilliant. You know, I was just mm. fascinated with that. Mm. I mean, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and obviously, I still love the physical effects that that were in the original trilogy, and then fortunately brought them back in the kind of um, the sequels. But yeah, you know, I, I, even now, I, I get a tingle over a physical effect in a film or a TV show or rather than just pure CGI. You know, it's, there's something about it, isn't there, that it can never quite be replicated. And, you know, some of the stuff you just talked about, you know, Legend, Dark Crystal, all those things, just brimming with like this creativity that's just, you know, it can't yeah. be matched. I don't think, no matter how good the digital stuff is, it's not quite the same, is it? Well, it, uh, it's also like a feeling of... T- texture and um and i think that that brings me back as well to the ninja turtles like the original artwork those comics they weren't glossy they weren't you know if you look at um superman from around the same sort of time yeah. they're very smooth very um bright colors and it, it was it looked cool it looked great but then you look at the turtle stuff and there's a real grit and texture to that artwork that just makes it look so much more organic and, and so much like so much more from another world. It's just it's so cool. And you can see a lot of that um, influence in your work, I think, as well. You know, because I was, I was having a reread of um, your earlier issues this morning in, in preparation for our chat. And I was getting that real kind of um, crawl vibe, you know, about <laughs> going off on an adventure. And it was it, it makes me smile because it, it, it takes me back to being a kid and that you know i love those films as well you know i love things like the um you 
know, was it the Steve Jackson fighting fantasy oh, books gosh. and all that? Yeah, you know, yeah. God, you know, and I wished I had them. I had, I had quite a lot of them. I'm and, sat next to a row of them right oh, now, actually. Mate, <laughs> God, I wished I'd kept them now, you know, yeah. and, and I've had a look on eBay and they're, they're not cheap, you know. But... No, they're not. In fact, um, to help pay for the uh, printing of book six, I put a few of mine on eBay <laughs> a couple of, couple of weeks back. I, I noticed that um, some of them actually go for decent money and I thought oh, I can let go of three or four to help pay for the print run but um yeah, yeah the the illustrations in those are just fantastic i mean yeah. that was another thing that really caught my attention when i was a kid yeah was the the black and white line art in there in those was just brilliant yeah so i know good. um brian boland did did some covers didn't he he did one in particular i can recall about you know, i think he had a mad scientist on the cover that's right yeah that uh appointment with fear i think that that's the been. one yeah yeah, yeah I, I always on this. I always remember Ian McCaig's work of mm. um, like Death Trap Dungeon and Forest oh, of Doom. God, yeah. Of course, he went on to do um, stuff for Lucas, didn't he? He yeah. designed um, Darth Maul. Yeah. yeah, which when you look at the cover of City of Thieves, and you've got I think it's Balthus Dyer, the skeleton guy with the horns coming out of his skull, <laughs> you think that's that's Darth Maul. <laughs> you know, like thirty or thirty something years before. Um, yeah. So nothing, nothing wrong with the recycling, is there? Oh, God, no. That's <laughs> a sign of a, a, a good artist, that. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's great stuff. So, I mean, let's just talk a bit more about your art then, because, I mean, I, I love your work. I mean, I've got to be honest. I, I mean, I told you this, because I think last time I saw you was... It'd be True Troops? Believers, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah True Believers, yeah. Two years ago, was it? I know. Oh, yeah, my, it's crazy. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm heading to my second lockdown birthday, me, so I'm chalking them both off. It's like, no, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. <doing> that. <laughs> not doing anything. I can't have worn my body out. Um, but yeah, and, and I remember coming over and having a good chat with you and stuff, and I still kick myself. I didn't buy some art because I should have done, but I, I love your work, man. It's 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 everything I like in black and white um, comics. It's It's got, like I say, it's got that energy and it's got that fizz and... There's a real sense of movement, and what what is your process? I mean, you know, do you do you thumbnail and do really tight pencils, or I mean, my thumbnails are disgraceful. I've got to be honest. <laughs> you know, people look yeah. at because I was asked to send some and to, the other week, and I thought, well, you're not gonna don't expect anything because they, they won't mean anything to you. It'll be stick men and circles. Well, they, in a way, they me, should be. They should just they should just be um, little sort of symbols and, and shapes and. Um, compositional boxes and things just just to get the layout of the page you don't want to over labor it too well i i personally don't over labor my thumbnails too much because i the main purpose of the thumbnail for me is to see how that page flows it's not about the individual pictures it's about the space of those panels how they sit together on that page and the shapes that are going to go into those panels to see how it all flows as your eye just casts across that page yeah um, so you don't need to put too much in there. I'd I know from reading up on uh, um, Peter Laird's sort of diaries about how, when they did Ninja Turtles, he was used to complain that Kevin Eastman did really, really detailed thumbnails. He said, you may as well just blow them up and, and ink on top. They were so detailed. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he, he was saying himself about um, he works too much into his thumbnails because he's just trying to get a feeling of the energy of the page rather than drawing anything. But he just gets drawn in and, and starts drawing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, yeah I, I thumbnail 
uh, I'll basically write a loose synopsis of what I want, what I know is going to happen in that issue. The first thing I do is do a synopsis of the whole story, so plan it out over the the six books, and then when I so when, once I finished book one, I then sit down, start thumbnailing the the section of that story that happens for book two. Yeah. Um. And then from those thumbnails, start to pencil it all out, and once it's all penciled out, and I've got my rough overview of what happens and I, I know loosely what what the characters would be saying i then go um i would go down the cavern in exeter which is like a, a sort of student underground bar place uh with my mate flint george flint as guy i used to work with and i would just show him all my pencils and i would talk through what's happening and if he ever sort of furrows his brow or says oh can i see that one again then i know that it hasn't flown as well as i want it to so yeah at that page at that stage i can take that page and be like okay i need to tweak that or tweak that so i i run it by him as my sort of sounding board mm. um and then after that i will just go through ink all those pages put in um putting in tones after the inks are done and then start to put the dialogue in um in a more sort of tightened up form so I, I would throw it all in loosely first, but then read through it along with you know, all the finished artwork and just tweak it. And um, then it's just laying it all up, get the cover done, get all the you know all the stuff ready for print, all the stuff that takes way longer than you expect it to. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I've got I've got a um uh, sort of a little. Uh, leather-bound book that I got on holiday one year, yeah. and it's got the thumbnails for for all the books in it. So it's pretty much four wow. hours. Um, so you can just go through and flick through and see the thumbnails for all the books, all all up to the end of book six. So yeah. I'll, I'll scan some in at some point and, and put them on my um, social media stuff. Just oh like, yes, please. You know, so I love stuff like it. that. I absolutely I love um, seeing kind of sketches and creative ideas, and you know how people get from sort of the genesis of an idea through to a final I, I just really enjoy seeing that and often i mean i you know not with your work but i often find that um sometimes the sketches and the 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 idea the process bit can often be better than the final piece you know because it tends to lose something sometimes people overworking yeah. and and yeah i kind of you know, I think I'd stop there. It's perfect. You know, <laughs> um, as I say, not with your work. I think your well, work I know what you mean. Though. I know what you mean. That there is such a, a looseness with thumbnails when you're just trying to get the the base shapes down. Like I say, looking at the page and how it will all move and flow as a page. When you start to add in extra bits in panels and tighten up lines, it's losing a lot of that. Um, sort of looseness and mm. you do have to be wary that you don't want to don't want to tighten up too much but then also it's hard because you look at it and think well it doesn't quite look finished so you have to be quite strict with yourself sometimes yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and is all your work um physical is it all it's the or do you work physically and digitally as well is it a mixture of the I, same um, process i i it's all physical it's all penciled on you know bristol board and then inked on top and then scanned in and that's when i get technical to put in the tones and there might be bits of line that doesn't scan in properly or it might be slight things i want to tweak maybe a face didn't turn out that well so when you 
see it on screen, you think, oh, I, I take this opportunity to just, you know, I mean, Photoshop forgives a multitude of sins. You're able to <laughs> hide things and flip things. And um, yeah, I mean, even even with, with book six, there was a panel all the way through. I was reading it thinking, yeah, that, that looks fine. That flows fine. And I put in the text and everything. And I, I got Kaz to sit down and uh, help me edit it. And then she said, well, that panel there, how it flows to there. I was like, uh-oh, if, if she's brought brought that mm. up, then maybe I need to look at it again. She says, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. It's like, no, if you've, if you've hit a thing where it doesn't flow properly, I, I need to tweak it. So it was yeah. just a case of swapping two panels around um, just to make it flow better. Yeah. But, you know, luckily with, with Photoshop, you can do that you know, yeah. really easily. Yeah, because I suppose in a sense you're one of those um, rare beasts of a of a independent creator where you you're an illustrator by day as well, aren't you? You know that's your yeah that's yeah your, that's my my you know, day like the, job. Unlike the rest of us, where I'm you know I work in the university and work in a kind of people capacity, you know, and I have this secret life which is a comic book <laughs> creator. <laughs> and um, yeah, luckily I, I've got a similar situation though because my wife's an artist as well, and and that's great because we can, you know, we can bounce off each other, and I can say to her, "There's something wrong with this page," and she's very good at reading, like you're saying about your partner, very good at reading the flow of a, you know, of a page, and sort of saying that that doesn't doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't, you know, and it's yeah. it's useful, isn't it? I mean, that's the kind of stuff you can't buy. No, yeah, that's like, right. I mean, well, you spend so much time looking at and planning and drawing it and think, yeah, it all works fine. It, you know, this is definitely how I planned it to be, but it just needs a, a fresh set of eyes to come along. And yeah, if they just sort of look at it slightly sideways, you think, okay, I've missed something here, you know. And, and I think no matter how long you do it, or you, even people that, you know, do it professionally, I'm sure even they will come to a panel and think, Oh, that was wrong. That needs tweaking. I mean, mm. I know for a fact someone like Mike Mignola, he would labor over a page for, for days, just, you know, thinking, I need to swap that panel or change that panel. Yeah. You know, so this guy's one of the titans of the industry. Mm. Even they don't sit down and, and get it right straight away. Even they will come back and pick and change and rearrange. If, if you've got the luxury of time, that is. But there is that. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is one of my main motivations for doing my own comics and always has been is that in the studio um throughout the week everything is on a timed budget so mm. you know you're, you're on the clock and uh there there aren't there's not that much room for error you know mm. you just have to read that brief check that you know what the client wants and the style that the client wants and mm. get it out to the client asap mm. so then when it comes to your own bit of time to think okay the client is me and I've got a vision of what I want, and I'm just going to get there one, one day at a time, chipping away one one bit at a time, and one day down the road, I'll have the finished product. That's brilliant. No, that's brilliant, and, and what a product as well. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> no, I mean it's going to be one of those those episodes where I just end up spending like an hour telling you how much I love your work, but I genuinely do. I mean, you know, well, it's, it's, it's very kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, it's just just everything about it. It makes me smile when I read it, and it's it's a great concept. It's a great comic. It's as I said at the start, it's brilliantly executed, you know. And it's if anyone listening to this um, hasn't seen Steve's work and, and you know been introduced to things like battle badges, then you know you you should do because you, you won't regret it. You know, it's it's brilliant fun. 
brilliant fun. So uh, I think have you that's... always worked primarily black and white? Have you preferred that as a medium or? Well, my you... main my main uh, reason for doing it in black and white is the the cost of not just the time, but the cost of printing as well. Yeah. So the main factor is the time. I know how long it takes to to do a, just a comic. You know, like my first comic I did was a, a black and white silent movie about two giant monsters that just basically you know meet and have a big Godzilla type fight. Right. And it, I wanted it to be silent because I didn't have any confidence to write anything. Um, and I wanted it to, to be kind of like a storyboard, basically. It was, um, and it was in landscape format. Mm. And I thought I'd, I'd do it in black and white because I, I know roughly how long it'll take me. And I just want to get a product, I'd do a project of my own and get it done. Mm. So once I did that and knew roughly how long that, that took to do, um, when it came to doing the next one, I thought, okay, I can manage that. But if I were to, to do all that again and then color it at the end, it would take me you know, so long because I'm just doing it in my own time. And then at the end, once I've done all that and it's colored, I then need to be able to afford the print run, you know, in color. And uh, that'll probably be too expensive. Mm. And so I just always sort of gravitated towards the black and white. And, and also my, my love of the old black and white independent comics like Ninja Turtles, yeah. like the old um, Freak Brothers all the old sort of like underground comics, yeah, the yeah. San Francisco scene and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. yeah, I just really appreciated um, the black and white side of stuff. And also going back to the fight and fancy illustrations inside, that line art was in black and white. I just, just thought it was so effective. And it, it, your use of greys as well, absolutely superb. I, I've recently done some black and white stuff for, um, for publication and it took me as long as colour, to be honest, because... <laughs> I was noodling that that many shades of grey. It was ridiculous, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah. I'm gonna knock that back a bit more, and I'm gonna it's knock a case those of... things back a bit. Oh, I'm going to bring them forward, and it's like <laughs> thinking, bloody, hell, I could have I could have covered it by now. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's like everything. You've got to find a discipline. So I just have three shades of grey. So I have a very light, a medium, and then a darker one. If at the end I want to push some things into darker shades, but um, yeah, you just. I mean, similar to, to painting, if you have, have a muted palette, it makes things so much simpler um, and, and quicker and is usually more effective in, in the finish, finished mm. painting. Mm. So, I, I um, yeah, I, I got it down to quite a, a pretty uh, speedy process now. But, I mean, that, that method of grayscaling is something that I sort of built up over time, yeah. working on um, Beast Quest books which I've worked on for, gosh, like 12 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started out, I mean, looking back at the first books, it just makes me wince, but I started out trying to, to crosshatch. And I did like the first, say, 40 or 50 books were all crosshatching, which was right. which quite quite effective after a while, but also quite hard on your, on your fingers when you're crosshatching every <laughs> image like that. So over time, I just realized that I needed to um, move more into inking those pictures and I got more confident and um, so the more blacks I put in I sort of thought okay I need to push and pull that a little bit so I would add a bit of grey and just over the period of the last 12 years it's just slowly grown into what I kind of would call my style really. No and it, and it is a, a definite style it's like your work is, is lovely 
So did you go to art college or were you self-taught or what, what was your background? Um, well, I went to uh, Swansea um, sort of um, art university, whatever. Right. It, it wasn't actually officially a university, but it was yeah. tacked onto the university as like the art section. I did illustration there. Um, and before going to uni, I did uh, art at A-level and a GMVQ in art and design. I just basically spent as much time as I could um, sort of skiving off into art lessons. Yeah. So <laughs> so rather than uh, having to go out and get a job, it was like, I'll, I'll just keep going on this this track <laughs> of art education as much as I can. Brilliant. Because cause at some point, someone's going to kick me out and say, right, now go and get a job because there there's no jobs in art. It's like, okay, well, I'll just stay here and, and hide and, and draw art <laughs> as long as I could. And then when one of the teachers pointed out that you could go on and do a degree in either like fine art or illustration yeah and i said well, what's the difference and he said well you can either live in your attic off of beans on toast and be a fine artist or um live in a flat off beans on toast and be an illustrator <laughs> <laughs> and i thought okay i'll go for the illustration route as well um so that was pretty much um a, a big eye-opener for me really was doing the illustration course which didn't necessarily teach you how to draw, but it taught you what illustration was as an industry and how yeah. to apply yourself to that industry, how you basically are a tool rather than, you know, if you're a fine artist, you're out there trying to express something. Yes. If you're an illustrator, you're out there trying to help somebody get their idea from their head onto a piece of paper and you mm. are the tool through which they do it. So flexibility of style, um, speed, um, understanding brief all that kind of stuff was what mm. they really you know drummed into your head which was pretty handy when i came out and eventually did get a job working on the kids annuals so you'd have things right. like action man and then the next week you'd be working on noddy and then the next week you might be on thomas the tank engine so it was a case of looking at the style getting the style guide and then having to emulate that style and work mm. in that style for say two or three weeks non-stop which was was pretty daunting but really good practice. Do you still have any of the original work for that? The, the action man stuff and things like um, that? Um I've got my Ninja Turtles stuff. Brilliant. That was the that was the main thing that drew me to the the when I saw that um they were producing Ninja Turtles annuals in this country. Yeah. I was like, okay, who's doing these? Because I need to give them a call. <laughs> and uh, when I, I found out that it was being produced in Exeter, which was, you know, half an hour down the road on the train, yeah. it was like, okay, I need to I need to try and get in there somehow. So I sent some emails and some examples of work and, and basically said, please, please, please. Um, and they gave me an interview and said, you know, sure, come in and um, we'll put you on a trial and see what happens. And um, yeah, I just threw myself into that Ninja Turtles stuff. Wow. It was just a dream come job. true, really. It yeah, was, yeah, yeah, really was to be able to send emails to these guys that I'd read their work and, oh. and loved their, like Steve Murphy, the writer, Jim Lawson, the artist yeah. at, at Mirage, you know, to send them emails and, and try not to completely geek out and, you know, scare them, <laughs> but just to sort of say, I'm, I'm quite enthusiastic about this job. And, um, yeah, it, it, it was really good. I mean, looking back at the work, again, it makes me wince like most of my work, but um, you've got to start somewhere. Is the, the creator's curse, isn't it, though? We all do it, where you look at stuff. I mean, I always talk about I go through this journey with my work where 
you know, I'll start off and I and I'll think early on, oh, it's got potential this, you know, and then you get to the middle and I'm like, mm, so sure. And then just get to the end and it's like, oh no, I hate it. You know, I hate everything I do. And um but you've I, got I, to learn to get over that bit, haven't you? Oh you know? yes, you do you do. You have to get used to the fact that the the best drawing you'll do is the next one. It's never yeah. what you're doing now. Get this one out of the way because the next one's a good one. But it it's kind of like you say, it's a bit of a curse because it just means that you're never satisfied. Mm. Mm. And you can never look at your old stuff objectively, can you? Because you you're too busy yeah. just spotting the thing that you remember that you never liked. <laughs> you know that yeah. nobody else will probably spot. Yeah, you're, you're going. Oh God, look at that hand. <laughs> look at that. It's thing. the thing with <laughs> with badgers producing um, pretty much like a book a year because I only work on it, you know, at certain times. Yeah, and it's been quite a um, quite a distance of time between book one and book six. So there is quite a difference in the. Well, I think there's quite a difference in the way the characters are are drawn, but. Actually, of all the stuff I've done, when I look back and see the first book of badges, I, I still quite like it for its sort of its rough and readiness. Mm. Because as I as I look through the books, I can see it's get, it getting tighter and, and getting a little bit more, um, yeah, a bit sort of stronger as it goes on, which, which is cool. I, I quite like it with battle badges. Most things, I look at the early stuff and think, never want to see that again, but got a bit more of a sort of an attachment and a fondness for the battle badges stuff it's beautiful work mate thank you so while we're talking about battle badges then i mean this is the thing that i know your your work for um and probably you know a lot of people listening will will know you from battle badges do you want to give us a little bit of uh, an idea where you know the concept came from and and you know what what inspired it okay well the i think the main inspiration was I I wanted my own characters, and uh, essentially, if I could, I would have just drawn Ninja Turtles forever. So I I thought, <laughs> okay, it's important to work on things that you're inspired by and sort of use that energy. So like with Eastman and Loud, they loved um, Frank Miller's work, um, yeah, you know Daredevil and Ronin and things like that. So the first yeah, issue yeah. of Ninja Turtles was basically their little sort of love letter to that work. Um, and so the first cover of the first comic is a bit of a um, a homage to Frank, one of Frank Miller's covers and putting the turtles mm-hmm. on, on top of the building and things in there like um, Daredevil was trained by Stick and the turtles are trained by Splinter, which is like a little, you know, yeah. a bit off of a stick. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll essentially do that, you know, but I will do my thing as a, a homage, a wink and a nod to to the turtles. I thought I'd quite like my own characters that have that feel to them. And yeah. um, I've always loved, like I said before, I love Asterix and Obelix, and I love mm. the the weight and the shape of of Obelix, the way he's drawn, and that the way that you can really animate him. But he always looks like if he if he walloped you, it would it would you know pack quite a punch. But he's a yeah. real gentle giant. So that was something that I wanted to lean towards. And then one evening I looked out my window and saw a badger snuffling about in the back garden. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. It's that, a sign. That is, that is <laughs> that, that's the creature. He's got that shape and with the markings on the face, almost like the turtle's headband. I thought it's got every, 
it's got all the things that I love together. You know, I can, I can sort of basically draw on my love of asterisks and try and move towards the fluidity and the cartoony style, um, uh, the way that asterisks was produced. I can uh, lean into the sort of fantasy, bring monsters into it and things, and have that anthropomorphic ass-kicking characters like the turtles. So I can I can wrap it all up in there. And because uh, it just all started to grow in my head mm. and, and the temptation is to be like, right, I'll, I'll plot out 15 graphic novels and I've got this <laughs> massive story and I've got loads of stuff in my head. But I know from the projects I've done before, you have to be realistic. Yeah. I think, OK, so not only do you have to be realistic with regards to what you're producing, but also you have to be realistic with regards to what the reader wants to read mm. on their first exposure to your characters there's no point in having four pages at the start with all this mythology and, and backstory and all that sort of stuff because you don't want that when you first arrive you want all that to slowly unfold yeah and be told to you as you go along that's what helps to build the world rather than come to it and have to read like a big sort of codex of the world before you get to meet the characters mm. so mm. that's when i was like okay i've got my rough idea of who they are where they're from and what they're doing and i will just let it play out from a starting point which is meeting them as they sort of lumber into town looking for a job and some food basically and i do love what you did with using the conceit of them being carted off to allow you to explore the history in the second book really well done that right oh really cheers well I mean, in fact, I enjoy them all. I mean, they just, as I say to you, they just make me smile you know, when I read them. Um, not because they're, they're amusing. I mean, they are amusing. They're funny and there's lots of very clever um, natural dialogue in there as well, which I like, you know. But they just take me back to a time when, you know, fantasy seemed more prevalent than it is today. You know, I mean, I think we've gone into an age of probably it being a bit more superhero focused rather than fantasy yeah. focused and yeah yeah i think so yeah um but um, the idea of trying to reach back to the stuff that made me smile and you know really amazed me as a kid that is one of the huge driving things behind it you know they say draw the comic that you want to read yeah and I, I, that's pretty much what i was doing because when mirage uh when peter laird sold the turtles to nickelodeon and, and shut the the sort of turtle side of the Mirage studio and they were no longer producing their indie comics. Um, those were the comics that I really loved because he gave so many different indie artists a chance and new up and coming writers a chance. He basically said, okay, here's these four characters, these turtles, do what you want with them. So they would go through portals to ancient Greece or they would teleport to another planet mm. or, you know, there would be a story based on the um, Jewish folklore of the golem and, and, and things like that. They right. just basically were able to do anything they want. And you would see all these new different styles of art and people trying things. And it was it was all this lovely black and white and grey-toned grey art. And it, it was just a, a real nice window into all this creativity. So when they stopped producing those, which was, um, it must have been, maybe about 2012 maybe right. get my dates wrong but um i thought right okay there's no more of that anymore i won't be able to buy those <laughs> I'll, I'll just start producing my own 
So, uh, so the two main characters, obviously, within Battle Badges, you've got um, the two brothers, Flint and Laird. Yeah, that's mm. right. Yeah, L- so, Laird's obviously, well, Laird is obviously a big nod to Peter Laird, yeah. uh, one of my, my heroes. And there's Lawson, the turtle, uh, the tortoise in there. He's yeah. a nod to Jim Lawson, another one of my um, heroes. And Flint is a, a big nod to my, my good mate, George Flint who is a, an amazing artist, but um, he, he hates showing his work to people. He's one of those really annoying people. He's, mm. he's incredibly good at drawing, mm. but he's so self-conscious that, you know, not enough people get to see it. Wow. And um, yeah, he's a, a huge inspiration to me. So, was, And, and our, our silly chats and, and he's, he's really good at magic and loves doing all these little magic tricks and things. And his, his sort of cheery naivety towards certain aspects of life that's that to me he he is flint the badger and lads can be a little bit more um morose about stuff a little bit more cynical he tries not to be but that's kind of me putting myself in there so i I base the two of them on our our uh, personalities a lot of the time which is well hopefully why the dialogue might might seem quite natural yeah yeah that explains a lot actually it it does explain when you mentioned um you make flint before and i thought i made a note to come back to that, because like, oh, that it? Cause I was going to ask you, you know, where, where did the flint come from? Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think that possibly does explain why it seems very natural. Do you find that often you you may lift conversations you've had and use them in a sense that that will fit into the well the, the, the novels? I mentioned the cavern earlier as well in Exeter, where we would we would go down to the cavern and show our own sort of personal sketches and drawing books and things over a cup of tea and just pour over what each other's done. Yeah. Um, and we had, we've got a, a book that we call the hot potato. So you draw in it a page, you give it to them and they have to carry on and draw a page. And it became quite autobiographical of, of us just like talking rubbish over a cup of tea. Brilliant. And, and from that, that sort of idea of, of these two people just sort of chewing the fat and the dialogue of how these it was um in that it was a monkey and a badger actually and i think from that is like part of the seeds that made me think yeah i'll I'll carry on with the badgers into battle badges and lift the personalities and the way that those two characters sort of um would chat in this this kind of drawing diary yeah that i took that into battle badges because that's sort of what gave me the confidence to start writing my own comics as well as drawing them. Because before, I always used to read comics and think, "Oh, how do you how do you do that?" You know, so there's so many amazing writers out there mm. that have these like, huge concepts and really complex characters, and I always shied away from it, thinking I could never do that. And I thought, well, just do it simple then. <laughs> they don't have to be highly intelligent characters, and they don't have to be saying highly intelligent things. Just to say the stuff that you would you would say, <laughs> yeah. you know, you find that because some of the dialogue you read in comics is very forced, isn't it? And yeah, and it can take you out of the the kind of story. I know this is something that um, Tony Esmond talks about. It's like you know when you read some very natural dialogue in a comic, it it, it it's kind of like it's a breath of fresh air sometimes because you know it isn't. It, it's almost a bit like Tarantino films, isn't it? And the one thing I always loved about Tarantino's early films was that you genuinely felt you were just overhearing people talking. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of um, 
uh, Kevin Smith's Smodcast, the yeah. podcast, and um, tell him Steve Dave as well. And he he always says about people just just go off and create your own thing. And he points to the the fact that with clerks, it, it was just basically the dialogue was what he would say with his mates hanging around in the shop. Yeah. And and tell him Steve Dave the podcast is basically his mates who run um, the secret stash. Just them recording them chatting around the table, and and I listened to it for years. Still one of my favorites, mm. and you just get uh, an idea of dialogue. Is just people, you know, talking rubbish a lot of the time, just you know, <laughs> chewing the fat kind it of is. thing. It is, and you just put them in a situation and think, right? Well, how would he react to that, and how would he react to that, and wouldn't it be funny because he would normally say that, and you know. I just try and keep it simple. Again, it's about being realistic. It's knowing your boundaries and thinking, right, I know the parameters of which I can create something and I will just create it within those parameters to the best of my abilities. Yeah, it works perfectly with the characters though as well. That's the thing, isn't it? You know, it fits them. Um, and I've got, to, I've got to give you a mention as well about the, the array of beasts that you, uh, oh, right. <laughs> that you come up with some brilliant creations. I mean, I, I always liked um, the crabbler, <laughs> you know, yeah, the big yeah. crab thing. Oh, I, I love just creating monsters. I, I, I could do it every. I mean, well, I do do it every day. I've done a hundred and forty something beast quest books. Wow. You know, so there's a new beast in each one of those. So you, you know, you'll get a brief through and say, oh, can we have uh, a lobster monster and an eagle monster this time? And then you just go away and think, right, okay, let's add some horns here and make his neck longer and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, coming up with monsters and beasts, that's that's my thing, really. It's brilliant. There's some great ones in there. Absolutely <laughs> great ones. Right? And, and again, beautifully designed as well. The thing I love about your work is you, you've got a real sense of weight to your characters that you know i was i was talking about this on a different podcast we were saying what one of the difficult things drawing comics or drawing drawing generally is trying to get that genuine sense of weight into a body or into a figure so it doesn't just look like it's floating or you know hovering but you can really feel the tension on the muscle and you and you, you with these incredible beasts you do that oh thanks <laughs> I I did have a flick through um, the books the other day, and I thought I don't know if there's enough beasts in them. So, <laughs> so further down the road, when I've, I've gathered up my energies again and, and move on to you know more battle badger stories, my, my main aim will be let's get more beasts in there. Let's, let's have as many beasts as possible. Yeah, like a royal <laughs> rumble of beasts. Yeah, yeah, thing. definitely. So. I- I have to mention, I do always appreciate the the wrestling um, little Easter eggs in there. Oh gosh, yeah. Well, that 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 was a, a huge love of mine as a kid. It is strange, really. It was all fantasy and warriors and mutants and all that sort of stuff. That was my main thing. And then one day, I, I saw a sticker. Um, somebody, I think they might have had it on the front of their book or something at school, and it was. Um, it was smash from demolition right. face paint looking like you know the only really the only thing he was missing was like a big battle axe in his hand <laughs> and i thought who's that that looks like a guy who stepped straight out of you know like a, a fancy movie or something and yeah and they said oh it's a wrestler and, and then there's this guy as well and they showed me the ultimate warrior and i was like these two guys are the coolest what do they do <laughs> what is this all about and then you know and they they from there showed me 
the world of 1990 WWF with Hulk Hogan and Warrior and Andre the Giant. And it was just this kind of like comic book group of of warriors and characters that was produced and and filmed and shown in such a comic book way. And it it was so larger than life and almost silly and almost surreal, but it was done with so much money and pomp and circumstance it was it just blew me away yeah. I, I just absolutely loved it and i obviously I, I know you're a big fan with gga and all the the references in there yeah. you know you, you <laughs> poffo sectors and yeah i mean i, I, I mean um, i'm a huge wrestling fan i've always been a i used to love the british wrestling um back in the 70s you know and, and stuff like that when i was a kid and then as you say, though, when the WWF came along, it was like, what the hell is that? It was like you, something you'd never seen before. It was quite yeah. literally like they took a load of superheroes like, out of a comic book and made them real. You yeah. Know? And it, it was yeah. It was just the, the colour, the sound. Because I can everything. remember oh. uh, wrestling on ITV. I must have been maybe six or seven I, mm. before it was taken off. I remember seeing it a couple of times, but it felt like a sport it felt like yeah. it was commentated almost in the same way as the snooker was it had this this similar <laughs> sort of atmosphere to it You're right. and you know it's the same sort of crowd and now and then the old ladies would would you know try and hit them with their handbags but the guys were just like these really large guys that would lumber into each other and it felt like a sport and i think it you know sort of caught my attention maybe yeah. while i was playing with my lego but with the wwf they they really knew what they were doing. Yeah. The, the marketing and the way that they just said, okay, well, those those other guys might be wrestlers, but these are superstars of wrestling. <laughs> it was ridiculous, wasn't yeah. it? But it was it, fantastic. Those characters, oh. those characters, I don't think they've ever been bettered. You know, your no. Macho Man, Raddy Savage. No. Your Mr. Perfect. Um, Andre the Giant. You know, just fantastic. And accomplished athletes as well. You know, yeah. genuine. I mean, as much as you know, people might scoff at wrestling as a as a sport, quote unquote. The the athleticism and you know and stuff. I mean, uh, it's just second to none. I mean, I'm, I was lucky enough that one of my heroes growing up was the amazing Kung Fu. It's one of my favourite wrestlers of, of the British scene. And years later, when um, I met what's now my wife, and we were chatting and stuff. And I happened to, I don't know how I happened to mention wrestling. And it's not the kind of thing you really mention to, to girls when you're trying to woo them, is it? You know what I mean? Wrestling. Oh, I, I make sure to mention it straight away. If they've got a problem with it, then I, sorry, this isn't going to work. I love comics, and, wrestling, cartoons. And, and she says to me, who's your favourite wrestler then? And I went, oh, it was this guy. You won't know him. It was a guy called the Amazing Kung Fu. And she went, all right. She said, do you want to meet him? I was like, what? Oh my God. And it turned out that her best friend, it was her dad. That's crazy. Oh, mate, I tell you. And I remember when I first met him, he's got, and you know, because obviously you, you didn't really hear him speak that much and he has a really thick Belfast accent. So I yeah. had a, I could hardly understand the word he was saying to me, to be honest with you. Um, but, oh, man, I was I was absolutely, like, geeking out when I met him. But trying to not look, <laughs> I was geeking out, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. And he, he's such a lovely guy. We're still very good friends now. I mean for my 25th birthday, he very kindly gave me one of his original wrestling outfits. Wow. 
Um, so I've still, and I've never tried it on before you ask because everyone. Oh, says I was going to say the next true believers. We yeah. need you in that outfit oh, at the table. I, th- I don't think I could fit in it. He was a, <laughs> you know what I mean. But um, yeah, yeah, it was. It's amazing how it all comes together. And I'm just reading a book at the moment about um, British wrestling between eighty and ninety. You know, so when it went from being really huge to losing its TV contracts and stuff, and the amount of things that you read in there, which it says that, you know, couldn't continue because of, um, you know, a broken shoulder, couldn't continue because of a couldn't. And it's like, as much as it was kind of predetermined, there were some serious knocks going on in that time. You know what I mean? Well, I think it was, it was still, there was a competitive element to it back then. It wasn't until they realized if you have less injuries than you can do more wrestling. The bouts usually were shorter and, and more entertaining. They're bringing more money. So it, it all slowly evolved to be more choreographed and more controlled because you could make more money that way. Yeah. Rather, rather than, the, you know, like the old, proper old school turn of the century wrestlers who might get into a hold for 45 minutes until they either pass out or, you know, like uh, they tear something. And everyone goes, oh, well, that's that. And then they go home. <laughs> but if you can put in a few somersaults and the guy, you know, pratfalls and then gets pinned like, mm. and build up the crowd and, and he gets up and says, I'll, I'll get you tomorrow night, then you've got a formula yeah. like a, a TV show for people to come in and buy yeah. tickets and, and you're, you know, off to the races. Yeah. So just going back to Battle Badges, then, I did, you know, I did appreciate the, uh, the Easter eggs that were in there. You know, there's the old holds bard and there's obviously. Yeah. I love the well, belt. After, they're after the belt, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. And they're, Absolutely they're, brilliant. And they're, um, their chief leader of their tribe, the Lord, uh, old Brock. Um, yeah, the, the Brockville Badges. That's sort of a, a lean towards <laughs> Brock Lesnar. Um, it's fantastic, that, mate! Absolutely great stuff. Well, actually, with with the main main bad guy, um, the Shriek, I always loved the bad guy that didn't say anything. I mean, it's kind of, especially in wrestling, people like the great Muta, mm. you know, the mysterious character who who didn't say anything but just looked sinister. Yeah, and also like with um, say Lord of the Rings, like the Ring Wraiths, they're just yeah. these things that that slowly uh, creep towards you or pop out of the shadows and they don't have to actually say anything, but it's they're just scary and imposing. Mm. So I wanted to have that for the main bad guys, just this sort of thing that would turn up and you knew it was going to kick off. And I always felt that with, uh, with wrestling as well. You know, I always loved the characters that mm. didn't necessarily have to shout and scream at the camera too much, but they would just step out from the crowd or, you know, they would they would come out from behind the curtain unannounced. You're like, oh, he's here, he's here. <laughs> that challenge. Was, that was what was genuinely disturbing about the Undertaker when he first appeared. Exactly. That whole yep. slow, lumbering, methodical. Yeah. You know, didn't speak. Didn't. I mean, never used to do the. You know, the segments. He never spoke in them for for the first. I don't know how many. Well, ones, he had you know. brother love originally, didn't he? To yeah. speak for him before um, Percy Pringle came in. Yeah. As Paul Bearer. But yeah, it was. There's so much with wrestling for all of its over the top, um, sort of showbiz and all that sort of stuff. There's so much of a less is more mentality. Yeah. You know, it's like you don't have to do an awful lot. In fact, you know, if, if with, with, with the match, if you, you feel like you're, you're 
working too fast and slow it down. And if you feel like you're working too slow, slow it down again because you need to do less to get mm. that crowd really involved, you know, get them to lean forward and look to see what's happening, what's going on. And obviously the idea is to hide the fact you're not really hitting them, you're not really hurting them. Mm. That's part of the magic trick, which mm. uh, as much as I still follow wrestling, I think has been has yes. been lost. Yeah, yeah. And I think once we lost the whole kayfabe, um, you know, when it became um, widely known that you could, you know, you could peek behind the curtain, it lost some of its magic and appeal then. I mean, yeah. yes, we knew it wasn't real, but... You know, the fact that, I mean, I suppose it's things like the internet and stuff, you know, you can read what's going to happen at main events before they even take place now. And I it's think, a shame that, you know. I think like a magic trick, we know there is no such thing as real magic. Yeah. But you go and you sit in your seat in the theatre and you watch the magician do his trick and it, it's got a routine and it's got a certain formula to it, everything yep. in its right place. And he will use distractions so you don't see the bits that would ruin the illusion and you go along with it and it works. And at the end you're left in all because yeah. you, you knew it was going to happen. You knew the lady was going to disappear, but when yeah. it does actually happen, you're like, wow, that gives me all the feels that I, <laughs> I wanted to feel. And wrestling's exactly the same. You know, Brilliant. you know who's going to win. You probably know how it's going to happen, but because it unfolds, because they tell that story piece yeah. by piece. And if it's paced right, and if the, all the bits are in the right places, it will always have that effect, whether and you do, know it's real or not. And do you feel that's helped you in, in creating things like battle badges, you know, in the fight scenes, that kind of pacing and, and you know I, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I, I think you can learn an awful lot from wrestling, <laughs> an awful <laughs> lot from wrestling. Even with um, doing my, my illustration degree, I would always relate things to, to wrestling. You know, mm. you've got to, as an illustrator, you've got to have like different styles. You've got to know what's going to entertain your client. You know, you, you've got to draw people in with what you're doing in the same way. You, know, you have to draw a crowd with wrestling. You have to tell stories through what you're doing. And it, it is showmanship on paper. Just they're doing it in the ring. Yeah. And, and you have to be things that you are not. You know, you're not sitting down and just doing it all in your style. You have to do what the client's asking you to do in the same way you have to be the character that vince comes up for you you have to do what the booker tells you to do mm. Mm. but then I, that's that's just me i, I always bring everything back to wrestling well <laughs> it, it's not a bad thing in my book mate it's not a bad thing at all um i think it's great stuff but so just going back to um battle badges then i mean we're up to issue five and you just sent issue six to print yep six is uh, so excited print now <laughs> yeah well six um each one so far book one to five they've all been about 24 pages yeah um book six is 68 pages <gasps> <laughs> it's oh my a God. it's a big bumper issue so um and uh, it'll probably only be like you know a quid extra or something like that um based on the, the price of the others it's, it's not going to be you know, like twice the price of the others. So I, I shall keep it at a reasonable level. But I just, as I was telling the story, because it's the end of this story arc, I yeah. didn't want to cram it into 24 and I didn't want to do a book seven. I, I thought, okay, I've got this much time. I want to do it in this time. And um, luckily I, I kept to my schedule. And um, as time's gone on, I've got a little bit faster producing as well. 
and I just realized I wanted to stretch out certain scenes, add extra yeah. pages in. And before I knew it, it was all the thumbnails together. It was, you know, heading towards 60 something pages. And I thought, fine, I'll just, just do it. Brilliant. Just plow into it and get it done. So it's, yeah, it's quite a bit thicker than the others, but I think it's quite a nice sort of, um, a nice thing to present to people that have been along with me for the whole story to be like, and here's the nice big thick bumper one for all you people that, you know, followed the story. The season finale. They were yeah. always twice as long, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And <laughs> the feature length one on the end. So what can we, I mean, without giving anything away, what can we expect? Is it going to wrap up um, kind of neatly? I mean, I'm hoping this isn't the end of the battle badges. I'm, I'm, you're not going to tell me that, are you? Well, it will, it will wrap up the problems that they've got at the moment. Right. That doesn't mean there won't be problems in the future. That's good. <laughs> so, I'll yeah, sleep tonight now. <laughs> again, it comes down to wrestling again. This is like leading up to WrestleMania. You know that <laughs> you know the hill's going to get beaten. Hulk's going to beat him, but you know that there will be another. You know, it's not going to be the end of the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. And um, when can we expect issue six to come out? Is it imminent? It should it should be uh, all done and printed. Uh, where are we now? End of March. So first couple of weeks of April, I would say. Just in time for my birthday. Look at that. Yeah, Perfect. yeah, that's right. Yeah, Perfect. just just in just in time for hopefully for some of the restrictions to lift and for people to get outside and mm. do stuff and go down the shops and. And you're not kickstarting or anything, is it just, just oh, self-published? Ki- Kickstarter's or? a world I haven't strayed into yet. It's oh, something mate, you'd have it away. <laughs> it's, it's hard work, but well, it's something I know is there. But the main energy and focus for the past five, six years, or however long it is since yeah. I did book one, has been getting the books all done. It's a again, it's about being realistic with it. It's thinking, okay, you've got this much energy. And you need to use it to produce the book. Yeah. Yeah. And then when the book's done, you can look at what you can do with it. So once all the work is done and I've I've got it all, you know, ready to put together into a collected mm. book, which, which I'm kind of almost there. I want to produce lots of extra bits to go into a collected one. So I'm not just selling the same thing again. You know, I want yeah. extra stuff at the back so that people you know, can see extra sketches and ideas and, and the sort of journey up to like what what it was to produce the books. Um yeah, then I can start asking questions and looking into Kickstarter and picking, you know, people like yourselves brains and say, well, what about this and what about that? And mm. um yeah, look look towards doing the collected book really. Yeah. Then, I, honestly a collected book on Kickstarter you'd you'd absolutely murder it. It's just a case of I've said this with other people that have asked around Kickstarter is just don't overdo it. You know, you see people have got like 20 odd different tiers and you're like, how are you going to do all yeah. that? You know, just keep it simple. And people like a bit of art, you know, they, yeah. they like a bit of original art or a sketch or whatever. And, but then more importantly, it's the product, you know, something like yeah. this, mate, a trade of this would be absolute gold. The one thing with Kickstarter is it gives you that reach that you wouldn't normally have. You know, that's yeah. the, when I did the um, GGA issue two, about three quarters of the sales from that were in America. All oh, right. Now I'd never sell those things in America. You know, I'd, yeah, I'd, no chance. You know, but it, it kind of it's it's interesting that you know you do have that 
that reach around the world. I mean, you've got to get your postage right, <laughs> I mean, especially now yeah, we're, we're that, that's Little the, Britain again. But That's you know. the big concern, isn't it? That all but of a sudden what you're yeah. selling, suddenly it's all postage money. <laughs> yeah, but you can, you know, there are ways of, of covering yourself for that to make sure that you don't make those common mistakes. But, yeah. you no, know, something like a trade. I mean, I'm glad you're saying you think about collecting trades. I was going to ask you that anyway. You know, would there be a chance? Yeah, to I, I always plan to. The, the plan was to produce one each year. Um, yeah. I usually get them finished around October, November, and then plug them through social media with a look to um, Troops being the big plug in the new year and then doing cons through the con season in the area. But obviously, with the whole COVID thing, it kind of took away Troops. Yeah. for um, last year and so there's been this sort of a, a bit of a gap so when, once cons do start back up I would then look to try and get book six out there into people's hands mm-hmm. with a look to possibly doing the trade like next year or you know end of next year maybe yeah. once I've done all my research and um, put things together and Brilliant. like you say I, I would probably look to only do maybe say four tiers mm. You know, look to have like like the book, bit of artwork. Um, you know, a, a certain a bespoke thing that you only get if you're part of the the Kickstarter. Yeah. Thing. So. Yeah. No, it'd be be great. But uh, I'm I'm just relieved to know that that the boys are going to be uh, you know, kicking around after the end of issue six anyway. So that's that's. Yeah, I think it'll be. I think it'll be quite hard to put them down and, and leave them behind because. Mm. Um. Yeah, definitely. I've got a, a proper soft spot in my heart for them because they. I always wanted something that I felt like was my own character, my own thing. Even yeah. if it was, you know, derivative of other stuff. You know, like most ideas, are, you can see where it's been nicked from. But Absolutely. um. But yeah, the, just drawing them and the dialogue and telling stories with them has, even though it's been a lot of hard work and taken a long time it's come quite easily it's come mm. quite naturally i should say rather than yeah. easily um which is which is really you know really great because a lot of the time you'd sit down and try and force an idea or try and come up with an idea and think right mm. i need i need my batman or i need my superman and he's going to be this and you sit down and you do four or five pages of it and you think yeah i don't know if he's really going to be this after <laughs> all <laughs> But with with the battle badges, it just um, yeah, it just all sort of came quite naturally. All flew out the end of the pencil onto the page. Brilliant! <laughs> and you can tell you enjoy it. I mean, I've said this before as well, but I I can always, I always get a sense of when somebody's enjoying what they've drawn and what they're creating. I think it shows in the work. It shows in the line work, and you know, and you can just see sometimes that somebody's doing something they love it kind of translates onto the page i think and i get that with these books you know i can tell that's cool they're not laborious you know there's no sense of you going oh god you know (laughs) it's none of that it's like there is this enthusiasm and this love in it that you can it just shines out mate you probably won't see it yourself because you you know you're working on it all the time and seeing it all the time but somebody coming in and looking at it fresh um there's a real sense of that i i try and uh, i work on it same time each week so i'd work on it on a friday so even though i'm sort of pretty tired from doing all the the work throughout the rest of the week 
when you get and you sit down at your own desk with your own project and you you know just open up the the pages and think right what was on I on last time it's always a joy to sit down and, and start drawing the battle badges stuff because you're you're just you're just getting back into your own little personal project your own little you carved out your own little bit of time you're like yeah. you know this is this is just me producing what I want to produce in my own time. Even though I put certain deadlines on myself and certain yeah. structure of like, uh, I need it penciled or I want it penciled by then, or I, you know, I want it inked by then. I, I know it's realistic timing because I know how long it takes me to do pages and how long it takes me to, mm. to do inks. And you might look at it and think, Oh gosh, you know, you've, I've tied myself down for the next year and a half <laughs> to get this 60 something page book done. But so you just do it one step at a time. One, you know, you, as you sit down at the time you've allotted, you yeah. just chip away at it. Before you know it, you look back and you're like, oh, I've done it already. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. So what's next? What's your next project after after Battle Badges? Do you think you'll do something different or are you going to no, take a bit of a I break? Think, or? I think, well, the Kickstarter will take up quite a bit of my, my time with regards to sort of sorting that out and researching into it. But mainly, I think um, it'll be getting back into doing the paintings, yeah, the battle badger paintings, because that was one of my my big motivations of taking my own bit of time out of the week to work on my own stuff was not just to try and improve as an artist and, and move more towards the cartooning way of drawing. Because mm. so, uh, my work, sometimes I would look at my my figure work, like with with Beast Quest. Beast Quest is, is mainly people rather than anthropomorphic. Yeah. characters so it's it's people that need to look realistic fighting monsters and so um th- there's a lot more sort of rules and regulations when you're you're drawing people and in interaction and sometimes i would think they look in a bit stiff or they didn't move the way i wanted them to mm. um and i would look at my mate george flint's work and he's just an amazing cartoonist but he tends to draw very realistic things and I'd look at his work and think, why why can't I do what he does? And it's because he's starting from the base of a cartoonist and working on top of it. Whereas I was always trying to start from sort of like etching the realistic stuff and then trying to make it move. Right. So I was, it's a bit arse about face. So I thought, okay, I need to go back and look at um, Asterix and animation and disney and things like that and it, that squat squash and stretch that that moving a simple shape and then work on top of that sort of strip it back um so that was one of my my main aims especially like approaching the battle badger stuff but yeah. also to get it more into digital painting getting back into color um into painting again and producing um like full color paintings that I I feel satisfied with. Mm. And I was able, a lot of the time you sit down at the canvas and you think, okay, I want to paint, but I don't know what I want to paint. Yeah. I, I'd find it, I find it hard to be motivated by, you know, like look out your window and see a car on a street or a bowl <laughs> yeah. of fruit or things like yeah. that. I, I mean, you should study that and it's brilliant discipline and I, I wish I could. But for me, my drive has always been things that don't exist making them look like they do you know trying to put the world that i'd like to go and visit take it from my head and put it onto the page so with regards to the battle badger paintings that was me thinking okay i know what i want to do i want to do the battle badgers doing something yeah um and i want to paint it 
And, and so in between books, I would often spend, you know, a, quite a bit of my, my free time just doing painting practice, producing battle badger paintings. And, um, a lot of them were with the intention of it being the cover for the next book. So I'd have a rough idea of what was going to happen in the next book or, or it'd be a, um, a print that I can put on my table. Look forward to seeing your paintings again as well at the next call. Yeah. It'd be nice to, you know, have a look at what you've been working on and stuff. So I presume then yeah. you've still got all the pages for your battle badges. I um, have, yes. Yeah. I've got a, a great big wadge, a couple of inches thick of, of all the pages for battle badges. So that might, it might end up being one of the tiers for the Kickstarter. Yeah. It's like Eric Larson, isn't it? I think he's got every page of Savage, Savage Dragon. Dragon. Gosh, he must, he must have. Yeah, you know, like ten feet of yeah. pages stacked. I think up. I saw a photograph once of him stood in front of just like this like rack of wow sheets of paper, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, these are like the first couple hundred." And he's like, "Oh my god, you know, yeah, it's That's uh, crazy." Yeah, it's do you think you'd have a part with them though? Would you? Would you be happy to let them I, go? And that's why I say might. Yeah, <laughs> the thing is, I've got all the pages forever. Um, comics and things I've produced in mm. a folder somewhere and I often look at them and think I should just take them along to one of the cons someone might be interested um, but then whenever you go to a con you load up your suitcase and <laughs> you get your train ticket and then you think right uh, how am I going to give myself a hernia trying to lug <laughs> all this stuff there what can I leave behind and it's usually the big folder full of you know pages of comic art that I'll, I'll leave behind yeah. But but with the Kickstarter, maybe because it's because it will be aimed at you know the people that are you know sort of the the real fans you know that, that follow mm. me. Whether um, whether I might offer up pages of original art with that at a certain tier, I'm not sure. I said just another thing to look at yeah. and think about. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you should. I think you should keep them, and then if you want to um, offload them, you should let me know first. Right, okay. I think that's the plan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Noted. No, Noted. They are beautiful. They, I, they, I mean, I love original pages anyway. I guess I get such a kick out of seeing original work on pages. That's the, that's the thing that I find a little bit sad about. If I, I work mainly digital now, it's because I still love that physical feel of it, you know. A sort of a, a Bristol yeah. board and I, I see so, such amazing digital stuff. I mean, I'd love um, Gav Mitchell's work, who did the Troll Tooth Wars, going back to Fighting Fantasy and yeah. Steve Jackson, all that. He did the graphic novel of the Troll Tooth Wars, and um, he does his stuff digitally, and his work's just fantastic. I look at it and think, oh, how do you get such crisp lines and mm. everything looks so sort of free and easy? And I think, right, I should I should move to doing digital and I sit down and I start to draw digitally but it just it doesn't have the same spark for me. Not yeah. yet anyway. But yeah. just not the same as, as the graphite on Bristol board and then you get your inks on there and you yeah. just you know, it's again. It goes back to that sort of texture and organic and mm. that real feeling. Um, but then saying that when I scan it in and I can correct all my errors on Photoshop, I see all the benefits of digital. Yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> just bought a th- an A3 scanner actually, with the the idea that I'm I'm going to try and do something physical again down the line, and then possibly scan it in and you know um, 
colour it digitally or whatever. I'll touch it up digitally. But yeah, I've just got this urge yeah. to do it. You know, I've not done it for years. I've not done physical pages for donkey's years. And I've just got this real urge to want to try it again. It'll probably be an utter disaster now because I've probably forgotten how to... Oh, no, you'll be physically fine. Physically ink, you know. You'll like, be oh fine. God. I mean, when it comes to drawing and inking, I love it to be physical. When it comes to painting, I'm digital all the way. Yeah. Go, going back to canvases and and paints and all, and, you know, trying to wait for it to dry and, and messing up and not being able to undo. I I would love to be brilliant at that, but I haven't painted on canvas for so long when mm. you sit down and do it digitally and it's just so quick and easy i know i know, I know what you mean brilliant ah, superb mate absolutely superb stuff and obviously again if you've not seen steve's battle badger work and you've not read these comics you need to because they are brilliant they're absolutely great fun and i guarantee that you'll you'll thoroughly thoroughly enjoy them so do you just want to give us an idea where people can firstly see more about you and your work and more importantly where they can get their hands on if there are any copies left of the early issues of battle badges um yeah i uh i have got issues i've got i'm just looking at my shelf there i've got my back issues yeah i have a few yeah a good few of um issues two and one uh, quite a few of three. Yeah, so there's plenty there people do want to order. But the uh, best way to see my work is uh, through Facebook. There's a Beast Hunting Battle Badgers page on Facebook. There's a Battle Badgers Twitter page. Um, I have an Instagram too, but I don't. I always forget to update that <laughs> as much as the others. Um, I've got a website as well, which is battlebadgers.co.uk. Um and uh, there's a, a blog on there that I try and put stuff up on. Um, it's it's just so tricky to keep track oh. of all the different social media things and, you know, keep posting it, posting stuff up, especially when I'm actually producing because I'm sitting down and thinking, okay, I need to just get this stuff done today and I'll, I'll just pencil and ink all the way through the day and I'll get to the end of the day and think, oh, I should have put something on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. oh, but then I'd have to think about what to put up and what to say and all that. So usually I'll, I'll just put up a quick sketch or a, a quick snapshot of trying not to give spoilers of what's happening on the page, yeah. um, which is another good thing about getting back into the Battle Badges paintings is I, I should be able to start putting up some more of sort of colour work and um, more paintings and things that people yeah. can see as I go along. So, yeah, um, I mean, if you just Google Beast Tank and Battle Badges, it will usually send you in the direction of, of one of my pages. Brilliant. And I'll what I'll do is I'll put all the links in the show notes. So if you can't be bothered Googling, then they'll be there for you. So you've got absolutely no excuses whatsoever <laughs> yeah, for not yeah. finding it. So It I'll, can be uh, a slog Googling. <laughs> oh, God. Well, you never know what you're going to find here. That's, That's true. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant and if you want to see more about my work then obviously um a bit like steve we've got everything at art 92 so on facebook twitter instagram it's all art 92 and as i say every week um you know we we keep it with the same handle because you get to our age you're lucky if you remember to put your pants on in the morning so if you've got more than one social media handle that's it i'll never log in again you know so yeah. um you can find us there if you've enjoyed this show then 
uh, if you feel inclined, leave us a good review because it helps people find us. Apparently, does something weird with the algorithms, and you can find previous episodes on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Apple Music, whatever they're calling it these days. And you can subscribe on there so you don't miss an upcoming episode. But again, really, really enjoyed talking to you, Steve. I, I, I absolutely adore your work, mate. I think it's superb, and I really appreciate you giving up your time to to have a chat with us about it all oh it's no problem thank you so much for all your kind words no and, and i am desperately desperately waiting for uh issue six so um you can put one aside anyway that's definitely <laughs> a, i'm definitely having that one and thank you for listening and before we go i'll leave you with this quote which uh, came from master splinter himself from the teenage mutant ninja turtles who said remember my son Everything you know, I have shown you, but I've not shown you everything I know. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. See ya. Bye.